Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. And here he is. Better never than late. Christopher David Sims, PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Max Headroom at an alternate location. Chris, I hope you brought your power drill. You can join in with the chorus of power drills that we're going to be hearing for the course of the next hour. Yeah, that's right. That's how we do it here at NBC. Uh, I don't even know, Mike. I don't even know. I can't even joke around right now. I'm annoyed, as you know. I haven't sworn. I haven't, you know, mother effed anybody at this point because I know it's no one's fault. But it's hard to sit back and enjoy the show right now. Like, it's one of those where it's like the steam's out of the room. I just want to call it and say, hey, the day's over and I'll see you tomorrow. My goal, my goal is to pull the ripcord on the lawnmower and get you re-engaged. I know it's tough to sit there for an hour and be frustrated. You dragged your ass out of bed to come in to have a show and what the hell's going on and the microphone box is dead, but we're still here. We're together. And you know what? There's a good chance there's folks who didn't listen to the first hour and they're tuning in now and they want to hear what you thought about last night's game between the 49ers and the Rams. I'm doing what I can to get you into it, man. (laughs) Got to pull you back in the boat. I don't want you swimming away. I don't want you floating away like Wilson. I got to get you back on the boat and we got to get to shore. All right. um, So uh, we both thought the 49ers were going to win last night. I thought the game was going to be closer. I had them not covering. I was threading the thinnest of needles there because I really wasn't sure whether to pick the Rams or the 49ers. You were on the 49ers and the cover, and they did. What is it that Kyle Shanahan has over Sean McVay? Seven straight wins now in the regular season. Well, I think the first thing is just the physical matchup and makeup of the team, right, Mike? We've talked about this a little last week when we broke down the game on our podcast. I think the first thing is the Rams, their greatest advantage against most matchups is they overwhelm you with team speed. They're a fast football team. Well, Shanahan, Lynch, the 49ers, they've built a team that's equally as fast, but I think has a a size advantage as well, let alone, hey, McVay and Shanahan, both creative, but I do think Shanahan's more creative. And I think Shanahan has found a way to be uh, a little more influential with D'Amico Ryans on the defensive side of 
the field, and they seem to have a great feel for how the Rams want to attack them always and really overwhelm them. So it's like not only is the scheme itself, you know, not there to deliver for the Rams like we usually see and the, the 49ers are all over it, but then the actual players overrun the X's and O's on the board there like we saw last time. I mean, come on. The defense dominated the Rams. The Rams, I mean, it's three yards per play. They can't protect Stafford throwing the football. They can't run the ball that way. I mean, really, it's a 24-9 butt whooping. That really was worse than that. 49ers left opportunities on the field. Jimmy G, I still don't think, played all that great, but they got the win. But, man, do they got the Rams number, to your point, Mike. One thing that it dawned on me last hour was the defense has realized we can leave no doubt. We can't right. be in a close game late where we're trailing because we can't count on our offense to go win it with Jimmy G at the helm. So we have to just drop the hammer. And they did with the pick six from Tualonga Hafonga last night. That, that gets it done. That makes it happen. And you don't need your offense to step up and come from behind like they did in Denver. They got it done defensively. And, and that was what we thought was going to happen against the Broncos. We thought they were just going to put the hammer down and the Broncos aren't going to score. But when they did, the 49ers couldn't answer. Yeah. And I think that defense yeah. collectively realized last night we're not going to put ourselves in a spot where we need to rely on the offense to make something happen. Yeah, no, no question. And I think, hey, that Broncos defense, it's still really good, right? And then Jimmy Garoppolo, we can't forget, did some real boneheaded things last week in that matchup. And I, I think the 49ers, to your point, you're right. They're going to have to play through the defense. They're going to hope Jimmy comes along as we go along here and gets better and better. We do got to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't really have a training camp. He didn't really get reps the first week of the year, so he's kind of just getting his feet underneath him. But then I think, you know, it's only a matter of time. Like we saw last night, I mean, Shanahan delivers so many creative plays to the offense, and they got so many playmakers where, I mean, they haven't even really, you know, hit on all strides on the offensive side of the ball yet. The 49ers, to me, are a team that, yeah, they're 2-2, and Mike, but with the way they look physically on the field and the faith I have in the coaching staff, I just go, you know, watch out. It's only a matter of time. How can you not like and, and, and like look at them on the football field and go, wow, there's some dominant aspects of their football team that can translate to a deep January run or getting to the Super Bowl? And you can't say that about the Rams right now. The Rams got major concerns, or not major concerns, but concerns. They don't look like last year. And I do apologize. Talanoa Hufanga, I mispronounced his first name. It's a name we all better get used to because – he is a special. They were raving about him last night. The obvious Troy Polamalu comparisons. At one point, Troy Aikman called him a Tasmanian devil. That's what I always called Troy Polamalu. And it's that uncanny innate ability, Chris, to know where the ball is going to be and to spring up out of nowhere to get it. That was always the Polamalu thing. And I always thought maybe quarterbacks held the ball just a half beat longer because we don't know where that guy is going to be. We don't know where 43 is is going to pop up. And I think that now is a factor. If you're playing the 49ers, you got to wonder where 29 is going to be at any given moment. Uh, agreed. Uh, you know, this is a, a defensive scheme that's you know rooted in a lot of that Seattle scheme principles. It's evolved, right, a little bit. But he's a little bit of their version of the Cam Chancellor. It's why Jaquaski Tart's not there anymore. And, Mike, you're right. I mean, he plays like his hair's on fire. He was a guy at USC that I got to see up close when they played Notre Dame, and I was covering Notre Dame for NBC, where he was a really good football player but too big. was kind of like, wait, should I be a linebacker or safety? They've cut his weight down. And you can see how fast he is, but he's that, you know, hey, he's great. He's real good in coverage, but he's great around the line of scrimmage. He's that extra safety in the box. And then you can see he 
can cover some people and make some plays on the outside. But that's what's impressive about the 49ers, Mike. I just think when you look at them as a full team, and we see them last night without Javon Kinlaw and a few injuries on the offensive line, then you just go, whoa, defensive line, special. Whoa, linebackers with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, special. The secondary's better than it was last year with Hufunga, to your point, and Charvarius Ward. So, yeah, I look at them and just go, I just think this is a team that will continue to get better now that Jimmy G's there. There's no more Trey Lance, and, and they can kind of just focus on one plan as they go here. Seven sacks last night of Matthew Stafford. Man. And something I said last hour, Chris, and, and we know how Stafford is wired. He's probably got like six injuries he's not telling anybody about. Like, he didn't seem right to me last night. Something doesn't seem right with him. He's not the guy that he was last year. And it can't just be, I don't have anyone to throw to other than Cooper Cup. It feels like, it feels like he's, just, he's just not where he's yeah. been in the past. And it's not that he suddenly lost his fastball. I think he's just banged up, and he's not going to tell anybody about it. I, I don't doubt that. I mean, he, he's one of those tough, tough SOBs that, you know, has, has played through injury a lot in his career. I heard you say that in the first hour where he sucks it up and still plays at a pretty high level. I don't know if he can overcome this. I don't know if it's injuries. I'm sure he's banged up. I mean, he gets hit too much, regardless of last night and other games too, and then they're not the same up front. They're, they're a different football team than last year. we got to get, get through this right or get over this right now. They're not the same as the 2021 Rams. There's no Whitworth there. They lost one of their starting guards. Their run game is not dependable and has done nothing to scare a defense yet this year. You know, Cam Akers doesn't look like himself. They can't pass protect quite the same. And then you hit on it, Mike. I mean, come on. They got to do something other than let's throw it to Cooper Cup every play. There's no threat of the offense. Last night, I mean, when they showed, when Joe Buck and Aikman showed plays, it was like the 49ers were, you know, all about within 12 yards of the line of scrimmage coming downhill. They're not scared about Allen Robinson. He does not look the same. He looks a step slower. And then it's all about Cooper Cup and against a great defense. Mike, you know, it's one guy can't get it done against a group of 11. You can't make one guy the focal point against a really well-coached, talented team like this. And that's where, you know, I am I am a little concerned about the Rams in the big picture of if they're a Super Bowl caliber team, which they, they don't look like through four weeks of the season to this point. 19 targets for Cup last night, 14 catches, 122 yards. He's on pace for 179, which would obliterate the single-season record of 149. Right. But the rest of the team... Combined yeah. has 26 catches through four weeks. That's insane. Somebody's so there's there's got to be somebody else that Matthew Stafford can throw the ball to. And I was saying this last hour as well. They got to get OBJ back in the building and get him signed before he signs with someone else. I, I don't disagree with that. Something has to be done as far as a guy that you know is is a playmaker. You know, can be dependable to a degree. I don't know if the Allen Robinson, Robinson thing's going to happen. We know they're missing Van Jefferson, so hopefully when he gets back, he can add a little juice. But it doesn't look like you're going to be able to rely on Robinson to be a clear-cut number two difference maker. You know, so Mike, yeah, I think that is it. I think when you couple lack of speed, lack of scary guy to go along with the offense, and then if you can't run the ball. 
that's when it becomes the dink and dunk fest. I mean, how many times last night did we have to see Stafford drop back and, oh my gosh, I got to get the ball out of my hands, and I'm only throwing a four-yard route, but damn, I'm barely going to get out of my hands on that four-yard route, and Cooper Cup's going to catch it and get crushed in between defenders or whoever else. Uh, there's just not enough enough there right now, I think, that's stressing defenses out, and without that run game, there's no play-action pass either, which we know McVay and Stafford have thrived in uh, last year in, in that Super Bowl run. Daryl Henderson had seven carries for 27 yards. Cam Makers eight for 13. That is not nearly enough to balance out the offense. No. And that's what they need. Right. That's what they need. Matthew Stafford can't throw the ball 48 times, 19 of which go to Cooper Cup. You right. can't do that right. and expect to win enough games. And I'm looking ahead at their schedule. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got the Cow- – what a, what a fascinating game this week with the Cowboys at 3-1 and one and the Rams at 2-2. Two and two. Then they play the Panthers. They got a bye, but they got some tough games after the bye. They got the 49ers. They go to Tampa Bay. They play the Chiefs in Kansas City. They've got some games where we're really going to see what they're made of. They play the Packers on Monday night, Week 15, just uh, six days before Christmas. They've got some games coming up where uh, we're going to see if they really are getting better, and that's the challenge. Look, everybody is kind of still in it here. Nobody's out of it. Not even the Texans. Are you going to get better? Are you going to learn from your mistakes the first four weeks of the season? Are you going to improve on the fly? And speaking of that, Chris, the fact that the Rams have been outscored 44-3 to in the fourth quarter this year is amazing to me. It's astounding to me that in the most important 15 minutes of the game, they just aren't showing up. It is a little concerning. The Cardinals game, you know, there were some plays they left on the field the week before this. But, but yes, I mean, I think it speaks again to lack of running game, lack of pass protection, you know, running out of things they can go to in the playbook because they use it all early on in the football game. And there's just, hey, there's only so many ways we could throw the ball to Cooper Cup and surprise you when it becomes the fourth quarter. So it is a little concerning. Overall, it's concerning, right? now I mean again I know the 49ers like offensively only scored 17 points but let's be real it should have been more than that I mean how many times early on in the game were Joe Buck and Aikman kind of nice by oh well he should have hit that one he should have hit this one I mean you know there was plays there on the field where it went into halftime and I'm going man we got a game here but really the 49ers controlled the football game and then you know lack of physicality letting Debo Samuel, who's a phenomenal player, don't get me wrong, but just run around the Rams and Jalen Ramsey missed tackles and everything there. I mean, they were out hit, out coached, out physical. The 49ers looked like the team that was, you know, more desperate or at least, you know, hungrier to win that football game last night. There was no doubt about that after about the first drive on from the from the rest of the game. Well, I think they took to heart the fact that they lost that game in prime time, so they had another chance to come back and take the taste out of their mouth, and they did. This play here that we're watching yeah. with the Jimmy Garoppolo throw to Debo Samuel, I, I, look, they, they said it during the broadcast, and I tend to agree with it. I mean, if he throws that where he was supposed to throw right. it, it's probably getting picked off. Now, did he do it deliberately high, or was it just, you know, I got lucky there. <laughs> I got lucky it floated on me a little bit. 
or it would have been picked off. I don't think that was deliberately high. I think that was, you know, the old shamrock up your butt. I got lucky I threw that <laughs> ball high right there. Yeah, because, you know, generally that's not a thought there on that type of route. And to, like, protect the guy or be safe, you usually throw it low, let me stop him, let me curl, let him throw a ball where he can curl up and do something there. But, again, Debo Samuel and Shanahan's ability to get him the ball, right? And because there's other things in the offense to worry about, whether it's, you know, Jeff Wilson, George Kittle, who's yet to have a big-time game, Brandon Ayuk, that you can't just focus or put all your eggs in one basket on let's stop Debo Samuel all the time. But the problem is Shanahan has so many unbelievable ways to get him the football. I mean, we just showed a bunch of the plays right there. Hey, that's just a little under route, whoop-dee-doo. But it's all the screen passes and the ability to get him out in space because, hey, the Rams are worried about we're a little bit of a smaller defense. We're worried about being overpowered in the run game. we got to get an extra guy in the box. Well, extra guy in the box, that means better numbers for the screen game outside. And see, that's where Shanahan's brilliant is he puts you in binds schematically. He tests your rules. He tests your game plan. And he adjusted to that. And, you know, Debo Samuel just, again, showing why he's really he's in the conversation for best player in football with the ball in his hand. That's for sure. That's really where he's special. And that's the key. I said this last hour, the idea that you get to this phase where it's not coached, it's not taught, it's just instinctive, and yes, he gets the right. ball and he won't be denied. There's a determination there that exceeds the determination of the guys to tackle him. And it's almost, it almost reminds me, in a different way but similar, of Patrick Mahomes, where I'm getting this done. I don't right. care where any of you are, I'm getting this done. And I'll go around you, I'll go through you, I'll go over you, I'll go past you, I'll do whatever I have to do to get to where I want to be. And it just it, and it's it's like an unstoppable force at that point. And you're watching it and it's like they all have a shot at it, but none of them are gonna make it happen. It really does remind me of Mahomes behind the line of scrimmage, where they're all there, but they just can't do it. And that's exactly how I felt last night as Debo was running to the end zone. They all are there. They all think they have a shot. They don't have a shot. Yeah, no, he's 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 you know he's in that category of Jamar Chase, Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, where you just go, you know, he can do extraordinary things that are outside the realm of the playbook or the play design. You just get him the ball and get the ball in his hands at times, and you just say, let just sit back and watch and watch out. And that's again, I think, where you know the 49ers are special that way because, and I look at them, even though we're sitting here at two and two, I just go, there's a lot of Super Bowl. Quality quality things to look at about their roster that, that make me believe they're going to be there because not only we talked the coaching, Shanahan, D'Amico Ryans, one of the best defensive minds of the sport, and then players on both sides of the ball that like are under the realm of what you're talking about, Mike. It's just that they can do things where, oh, wait, you're trying to double team Nick Bosa? It doesn't matter. Oh, you're trying to you know make sure that, that, that Fred Warner doesn't have a free you know path to the football all game long? Well, it doesn't matter. He's just too good. There's only certain things you can do to really slow them down. And I think that goes for a number of guys on both sides of the ball. And that's why, you know, I hold them in that class. I know there are two losses down, but I think they're right up there as far as the talent on their football team as compared to the top teams in the sport, whether that's the Dolphins, the Bills, the the Philadelphia Eagles, of course. I think they're right there. It just comes down to you-know-who, Mr. Jimmy G and his consistency, and can he play good enough to to maximize that team's potential? But the key is what the 49ers do from September through December translates to January. Yeah, right. That's the key. That's how they beat the Packers. Yeah. 
at Lambeau Field last year and how they almost beat the Rams, but it's Jimmy G. Like, when is Jimmy G yeah, we all hold going to crap down going to self-destruct? Right. I tried not to, yeah, <laughs> just self-destruct. I was opting for self-destruct so folks don't have their, their breakfasts up. Uh, you know, uh, disrupted. There was a, but you mentioned, you mentioned that there was a throw in the first half and they were kind to him. He had a guy wide open. He just threw it over his head. Yeah, well, he did. He missed a tight end member down the left sideline yes. where he threw the ball. And then I think it was two plays later, he had a guy going down the middle of the field on the right side. I think it was Jennings, 15, and he missed him, right? So, you know, again, I think there's opportunities and plays that, you know, happened throughout the game, and then it goes for last week in Denver where you just you scratch your head, and you go, I don't know how a guy that got to the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game can make that decision or miss that throw. It's really jaw-dropping at times. It is. But if he can play just, you know, like a little above average football, just a little above average football, they're going to be a real you know, Super Bowl contender, serious threat in the NFC. Because, I mean, you just look at, again, you know, hey, last night, run the ball, throw the ball over the middle. And it was a great formula. And Shanahan, who's got obviously great feel for how Raheem Morris does things on the defensive side for the Rams, he, Shanahan's just a master at exposing rules or, or, or stretching a zone out, right? I thought, like, Aikman showed so many times last night where it was like a good, a, a good like, you know, uh, sky cam shot of, you know, hey, it's two guys trying to cover two guys, but Shanahan finds a way to stress out how they're going to pass out the pass these two receivers off in the zone to where he widens it out and all of a sudden one guy has an area to boom catch the ball and Garoppolo puts it on him I mean that's where Shanahan's really brilliant that way he stresses out little issues with your scheme and we saw that again last night and it wasn't I don't even think Jimmy G's greatest game but it was a solid game and it ended up being a dominant win for the 49ers 49ers have an interesting road to the rest of the way they've got back-to-back eastern time zone games early starts in uh uh well not an early start because they're doing a it's it's a it's a 105 start pacific time but still they're at carolina then they're at atlanta for the 10 a.m start local time they got the chiefs they're at the rams before they're by they play the chargers they still play the buccaneers they've got some games that are really going to show us what they have but they got enough there that they can win they can get to the playoffs and then they can be very dangerous in january if they have to go to philadelphia they can, they can compete and win in Philadelphia. They can compete and win anywhere Agreed. with these various teams in the NFC uh, because of the way they play. But it does come down to Jimmy G. Wouldn't it be something if they win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo? His contract makes him a free agent. They can't use the franchise tag or the transition tag, Chris, and nobody wants him. Like, like that's great, but we know it wasn't you. We know you're not the reason that they won the Super Bowl. We don't want you to be our starting quarterback. Well, I think yeah. I think there'll be a team that that just wants the cachet at that point, right, right? Because it'll reach a crescendo as we get to the Super Bowl, and if they do win it, that's kind of undeniable. Exactly. But it really won't be because of him. It'll be in spite of him. No, no question. I mean, again, I think even the cachet this year almost lent him to being signed by teams, where. Hey, I mean, there's a lot of rumors out there. We know it was maybe, you know, misreported to a degree, but Washington was obviously, we know that, was interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. And and I would argue and just go, you know, well, you lucked out. I mean, Carson Wentz has more talent than Jimmy Garoppolo. 
I mean, can you imagine Jimmy Garoppolo playing in that offense with that lack of pass protection or run game? They'd have no chance in Washington. But the cachet, to your point, you know, around Carson Wentz is like, eh, oh, Carson Wentz, I don't know, even though he threw for 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions last year. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, the cachet is, oh, well, he's a winner, even though I want to go, uh, nobody did more dumb shit last year at quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Nobody threw more dumb interceptions in football last year than Jimmy Garoppolo. And he did that in the playoffs, and they still overcome it. But to your point, yes, if they win and get deep into the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl, you're right. I think the cachet itself lands them on a football team as a starter somewhere. See, for those of you who suffered through the one hour without Chris, you finally got the payoff 20 minutes into hour two where he drops the S-bomb in reference to Jimmy Garoppolo, who, safe to say, if he's ever making the rounds at the Super Bowl, probably won't be joining PFT Live for a discussion on all of the dumb shit that he has done with the football. Let's go ahead and take a break. (laughs) We've still got more PFT Live to come. PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. We'll be back right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Injury news coming out of the fourth week of the NFL season and a couple of items important to the Denver Broncos because they play Thursday night. Javante Williams out for the season with a torn ACL and other damage in his knee. Randy Gregory, ACL is intact as we reported yesterday, but he will have arthroscopic knee surgery. Highly unlikely we're going to see him on Thursday night. The other surprise, too, was that uh, Russell Wilson shows up on the injury report. But before we get to that, here's Nathaniel Hackett talking about the injuries to Javante Williams and Randy Gregory. Yeah, I mean, both those guys are obviously very important to our team. Uh, Losing Javante is so unfortunate. You know, a dynamic player in this league. Uh, Randy, uh, same thing. You know, uh, having him to have to miss some time right now uh, is hard because he's been a great force on the team. But, uh, hey, so... Somebody's got to step up, and I think that, uh, you know, with this whole team, uh, I think they're excited, you know, for that opportunity, and we're glad that it comes uh, very soon instead of having to wait longer to be able to get out there and go play. Yeah, hey, look, next man up, and in a year like this where all the teams are packed together, how you deal with inevitable injuries, first of all, can you avoid them to your key players? But when they happen, next man up's got to come get it done, and they wanted Randy Gregory for a reason. He's been great so far. They're going to have to find a way to make things go defensively without him for however long he's going to miss. They're going to have to make it go offensively without Javante Williams. They plucked Latavius Murray from the Saints practice squad yesterday to go along with Melvin Gordon. They also have Mike Boone. Both Boone and Murray go back to Minnesota when George Payton was there, so he's got familiarity with those guys. But they got to pivot away from a player a lot of people was, were excited about getting into the, the season with uh, – uh, uh, Javante Williams, he's done, and you move on, and that's how it is in the NFL. It happens, and you got to move on, and you got to try to to make do with what you have. But uh, the Broncos, you know, I'm surprised. I still don't feel like they should be two and two. They should be very fortunate that they're two and two, but they're in the mix. 
and where they go from here is up to them, Chris. Yeah, I, I know it, it's a little bit of both sides. You could sit, you could sit here and argue though they they, they could be three and one too. You know, with the two fumbles on the one foot line, it's just been inconsistent, ugly football play. I think to your point, Mike. Right? It's an ugly win against the Texans. It doesn't get uglier against the 49ers. But as we saw last night, the 49ers, their defense, they're going to make a lot of people look ugly, for sure. The problem is, is it looked ugly last week against the the, the Las Vegas Raiders again, and, and the offense especially. And we know that the passing game and Russell Wilson and all that. Hey, they had at least had some moments in this last game, definitely. But kind of like as the game went on and they looked great in the first half, the third and fourth quarter, I mean, the Broncos had a hard time moving the ball. So you look at them and go, wait, they need to run the ball. And Javante Williams is, is clearly their best runner. And then Melvin Gordon, who, yeah, has still got some talent, is not trustworthy. I mean, nobody fumbles more than Melvin Gordon. This has been an issue throughout his career, let alone a big issue this year. I mean, again, he's, you could argue he's got four fumbles on the year. Two of them have cost them two games, whether it's the one-yard fumble against uh, Seattle or the, the fumble last week that was picked up and returned for a 68-yard touchdown. So that's where it stinks for the, the Broncos, who are not hitting on all cylinders. They're relying on the run game and the defense to carry them. And now no Randy Gregory, certainly one of the marquee players on their front seven, not there. They're going to probably have to rely on some young guys there. So, yeah, the, the, tough, the road is getting tougher for them, for sure, without those guys. The surprise on Monday was the disclosure that Russell Wilson is injured. Now, yeah. initially, Nathaniel Hackett said he was sore. And I saw a bunch of tweets saying that he was limited in practice in the practice they don't have on Monday. This is how the game goes. For the teams that play Thursday night, they never practice on Monday, but they have to do a practice report. So if they would have practiced, Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited, would have been limited with a shoulder injury. It initially was being described as soreness. The soreness is in his right throwing shoulder. We'll see if he practices today. We'll see what his designation is on Wednesday. Will he be questionable for the home game against the Colts? We'll see. But, you know, this is just part of the bumps and bruises that quarterbacks have to deal with. And we've seen Russell Wilson play through a lot of stuff yes, we have. over the years. It wasn't until he had that finger injury that required surgery and the pin and that graphic image of the finger being broken and twisted and held together by that pin. That was the only time he missed time. He will be playing. No matter what is going on with that shoulder, the question is how effective will he be? Yeah, that, that, that is right. And, you know, again, this is Thursday night. It's a pressure-packed game. we got two teams here, you know. Yeah, it hasn't looked great. You know, the Broncos sitting there at 2-2. Two and two. The Colts certainly, I mean, one-win team that you go, yeah, you won one game in a game where you had every break in the world and probably still shouldn't have won the football game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Nothing's looked good there. So this is a big one, definitely. Uh, but, I, yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I expect to see Russell Wilson. And I think, you know, the Broncos offense, it's still a work in progress. And if they do win, it's going to be ugly football here for the time being. And we'll see how, you know, Russell Wilson looks as this continues to go and how the offense kind of formulates around him. But, uh, yeah, they certainly haven't met expectations to this point as far as what we thought they were going to look like. You know, you make a great point about pressure because with the teams packed together this year and it seems like they're more packed together than ever before, does, right? we get to week five and it's like, which way are, are we going to break? Are we going to go toward the better teams or the worst teams? And with each of these games, there's going to be that pressure. Like, which, which track are we on? Are we on the good track or the bad track? Because we know, we know at some point it's going to break. Even if it's week 18, 
that's where the separation is between the 14 that make the playoffs and the 18 that don't. But I, I think a lot of these games, as we get to – like, is this the week we start to see separation? Is this the week we start to see it? And it puts pressure on those teams, and everybody's kind of trying to do the dog paddle here to stay in the conversation. But who knows? It's lasted through four weeks. If it lasts through eight weeks and they're all bunched together, oh my God. man, I mean, what a scrum it's going to be in the final two months of the season. It will. I, I would expect, though, Mike, it to be more towards like what you're talking about there at the, uh, your first point, that you know we're out of September, we're four games in. I think you got teams that finally go, okay, wait, this is what we are. We know where we're good. We know what our issues are. We can start to, you know, come up with game plans to hide the issues and accentuate the positive things we do. Teams are in shape now, or at least players are in football shape, to where I think you'll start to see separation or at least the, you know, cream rise to the top. I'd be surprised. But, you know, I think between that, you know, no preseason like we talk about, limited practices and training camps, and then the ever so uh, new thing in the NFL, which is um, I, I, coaches don't manage games anymore. And just we're aggressive, and you can't be wrong. The analytics said to be aggressive. That leads the games to be a shit show and all over the place. And that's why we have like you don't you can't pick games right now. It's hard to figure out who's going to win. Things are even as they are already. Add in those other influences and. Yeah, it's hard to figure out who's going to win a game on a weekly basis right now in the NFL. And, folks, here's why it's happening. And, again, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time is way too early for the analytics mafia to be up my ass. But what happens is all these teams now have an analytics executive who constantly is whispering in the ear of the owner and is setting the agenda for the coach to be aggressive. And the coach, like, he knows he's going to get second-guessed internally. Whatever happens externally doesn't matter. You're going to get second-guessed internally by the analytics expert who is constantly talking to the owner because whatever the coach did was wrong because the coach didn't do what I said the coach should do. So the coach just does what that person says the coach should do to protect himself with the owner. That's why we're seeing this. And that's why it loses sight. I talked about this yesterday, Chris, with the Jim – or Jim. John, not Jim. Say – Hi to your dad for me. John Harbaugh <laughs> right. decision to go for it on fourth and goal from the two. It's not just go or no go. It's what play do we have that we like? How do we feel about executing that play? Right. Can we trust our quarterback not to throw an interception in the end zone? Right. Because it's not as simple as saying, well, if we fail, they have it on their two-yard line. Yeah. No, they don't. They have it on their 20. How good are There's they so in many zone factors. situations? Right. Ex- ex- and, and what's our vibe today? Like, where do we think their weaknesses are? Where do we think our weaknesses are? How do, how do the plays that we thought going into the game would work in these situations, how do we think now that we're actually 58 minutes into the game they actually will work? Those are all things you have to trust at the discretion of the coach, and they are not conducive to a mathematical formula. That's where the rubber meets the road on analytics. It is still football. It is still a human-driven game. Right. And, and there are so many factors that can never be quantified. And I don't want to hear this. Well, we account for that in the model. Bullshit! You can't have a model that accounts for everything. And if you did, whoever came up with that model wouldn't be on TV, wouldn't be in a team. They'd be in Vegas beating the odds every single game and keeping their mouths shut about it.
Yeah, well, it's it's like we talk about. Yes, there's more to it. There's there's realizing how the game's playing out in real time. There's the human emotion aspect of it. You know, we see it all the time. I mean, it's it's, it's not just John Harbaugh. You know, I, I mean, hey, there's a number of games you can point to on Sunday that you just you don't understand the decision. And it's always about aggressive and the analytics, and I understand that. But, hey, let's look at last night. There was a decision a little like that. It's 14-9. to 9. The 49ers are inside the 10-yard line. We're in an era now where the announcers legitimately go, Go for it. Go, go for, for it. it. And I'm sure the analytics probably said, well, if they win, if they go for it and score, it's a 64% chance of winning. And if they don't score, it's still a 60% chance of winning. Well, what did Shanahan do? He doesn't get caught up in the moment. He goes, wait, my defense is whooping the crap out of the Rams. We're the better team on the field tonight. Let me protect myself and go up by eight so they score a touchdown and two-point conversion, which is going to be hard against us. Okay, so be it. But the game is tied. But I believe, at the very least, it gives us more momentum, more confidence, and we've been the better team on the field. And the longer we play here, the more we'll separate themselves. Oh, 17-9. Oh, the Rams dink and dunk, and they're fighting for every yard, and we're going to throw it 45 times at two feet per throw. And what happens? They throw one of those short passes, it gets intercepted, and game over. So, you know, to your point, yes, there is way more into it than just numbers or numbers on a sheet, which is driving me crazy right now in the NFL. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure that I've already fully triggered the analytics mafia, so let me go ahead and say this, too. Another thing that drives me crazy, and we have this conversation every year, when you have these two choices, well, we've got a 50.2% chance of winning if we do this, We've got a 49.3% chance of winning if we do that. So let's do the thing that gives us a 50.2% chance of winning. That is so fundamentally flawed because as a head coach, I don't have the luxury of doing this 100 times. I'm not going to get to play the long game over 20 years. If I don't win games, I'm out. So i got to make the decision that I think, for me, in this circumstance, is more likely to help me win the game, not the one that if I do it 100 times, I'm going to get it right. A little more than half versus the one that I'm going to get wrong a little more than half. I got to get it right now. I got to pick the one that's going to work right now. This game, this field, these players, these conditions, these circumstances based on everything I've seen all game long. That's where these, like if the margin is 95 versus 5, okay. But when I hear people say, well, there's a 62% chance of winning if you go for it and a 58% chance of winning if you don't, that's margin of error stuff for me i want to know what's going to work right now and i'm not going to be guided by a hair here and a hair there a big difference yes but a small difference to me it's just one factor to consider and the way i'd consider it is it's irrelevant i'm going to do what's right in these circumstances yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I am, and, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I think it leads to a lot of the reasons why we're seeing games all over the place. You know, I, I do. I think it's, 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 it's so caught up in the numbers, head coaches, and playing that game all the time. They've lost their gut instinct and some of their things they've learned throughout the history of coaching about, wait, let me just take the lead and manage the game the right way or do this and, you know, we'll, we'll – We'll do the appropriate things after. But, yeah, it, it leads to exciting football, uh, but it's momentum changes, and it's a lot of reasons why I think we see teams kind of blow leads.
leads on a weekly basis sometimes when they control the football games because they are a little too number-based. And it de-emphasizes the power of the coach and the influence of the coach. And look, here's what happens. It's like any other industry. The industry changes at the top. You now have owners who are very savvy about analytics. They've got their analytics expert right there at the right hand. And whoever takes that coaching job knows going in, this is just the way it is. You know, it's like a rule change. This is just the rules of how the organizational dynamics work have changed. And I've got to accept that. And I no longer have the autonomy that maybe coaches once had. I now have to adjust and adapt to this person who's going to be talking in my headset, telling me these percentages, and expecting that I listen to them because the owner's paying them high six figures to be the one to have all these answers because they think they can somehow turn this into the same thing as the balance sheet that these owners have mastered over the years to earn billions. I really do think that's why it's taken a foothold, Chris. I've never thought about it that way. But you have all these people, except the ones who inherit their teams, who are successful business people. And they think they can somehow take the magic that they've captured elsewhere to earn billions and translate it into success on a football field. And this is a way to quantify things that are inherently unquantifiable, but they're trying to do it. And I think it's making it harder for coaches to do the jobs the way that they're supposed to be doing the jobs. Oh, I agree. If that I makes mean, any sense at all. No, well, yeah, they're being and they're being micromanaged. I mean, they're being they're they're basically being as as I know from a lot of people are being called into a room on a Monday and having to explain themselves for every decision they've made. And of course, when you have to do that, and you realize that hey, like to your point, the owner seems to be leaning on the GM and the analytics crew. As a coach, you start to just go, well, crap. I guess I'll just you know buy in yep, and I've- join the. Team, so when in Rome, I don't get fired. When in Rome, exactly, exactly. right. right. I, I had I had a GM tell me that it used to be, and I mentioned this I think in Playmakers, and I think we've talked about it before, but it's an important point. It used to be the coach could just go in there and bamboozle the owner with jargon. Not anymore, because the owner's got the analytics person there who can cut through the crap, and the owner is asking incisive, tough questions of the coach, and the owners are no longer blown away by all the football jargon and they keep their mouths shut lest they come off as stupid. That doesn't happen anymore and it makes it harder for the coaches. All right, some other injuries. Daniel Jones of the Giants dealing with a sprained ankle but showing signs of improvement. We reported Sunday night in Football Night in America that the Giants will know late in the week what Jones' availability will be. Tyrod Taylor and the concussion protocol. Davis Webb is all they have right now. They didn't add a quarterback yesterday (laughs) but uh, Chris, you know, hey, they're 3-1 and but they got no chance against the Packers if they don't have Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor. No, absolutely no chance. And, and, and I mean, I'm not even sure if they have a chance to whether even if they have Tyrod Taylor. I mean, that that's where you know Daniel Jones, as we've discussed a little bit here, you know, over the last month. I mean, he's a huge reason for the Giants' success. I mean, legs are the key word for the Giants. It's the legs of Saquon, it's the legs of Daniel Jones, and it's the leg of Graham Gano. Those are the most positive things they got going for their football team right now. It's the only way they're winning games. You know, Dayball and Wink Martindale are doing a great job of kind of knowing what they got on offense and defense and managing the game the right way. And then Daniel Jones' ability to run and get out of trouble, whether it's the drop back pass game or the two bootleg runs we saw for a touchdown last week and Saquon running the ball is all they got going for them. So that's why this is a big deal here because it's 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 not only just the the game plan quarterback design runs, it's the fact that the Giants still are not a very good pass protecting football team. 
team. And Daniel Jones needs to get, get out of dodge at times. And that's where it's going to hurt them against Green Bay, who we know has a pretty damn good defense and a good pass rush. I saw someone suggest yesterday that the fact that Jones is already injured is just another reason why they can't count on him beyond this year. And, hey, again, you got to be available. Whatever the injury is that we're talking about, if you can't suit up and play every week and we see the great quarterbacks find a way to suit up and play every week, if you're going to have ankle injuries because you're, you're running but you're not protecting yourself the right way, they, they are going to look elsewhere, Chris. Well, yeah, they are. But, you know, this, this is where, you know, this is, you know, the cart before the horse, the horse before the cart, whatever you want to talk about here, where I just go, well, what other option does he have, fan, that's worried about Daniel Jones and going to be so critical about his health? He has to play a game that, you know, Tom Brady didn't have to play early on in his career. He could just sit back there and bake a cake and sit there and then bake another cake and then throw the ball. Oh, wait, I don't ever get hurt. Well, you don't ever get hit either. You know, the guys that get stuck on these type of teams, they get hurt because they have to go above and beyond at times. So it's not fair to judge them all the time on just your injuries when you go, he's been behind the worst offensive line in football the last three years. This year it's not the worst, but it's bottom five, bottom six in football. And then he has to run the ball or they can't win the game. And their receivers are sucky ducky and are never open. So that's where you go, well, he has to put himself in harm way and push the envelope that way, which is going to lead to injuries. And that's where it's a little unfair, you know, I, I feel like, to judge that situation just solely on I, that. I, I, I think you're right. The yeah. guy's trying to make things happen, you're and right. he's, he's dealt a bad hand. And he Look, they're 3-1, and one, but can it continue? Three and one I is know. going to be very hard to parlay into four and one against right. the Packers in London, especially with Daniel Jones banged up, even if he does play. All right, the Falcons put running back Cordero Patterson on injured reserve. He had a knee procedure. They expect him back later this year. 340 yards on 58 carries so far. I mean, he's one of the best things that team has going. He's a great story. Came into the league as a receiver. He was raw. He was a project. The Vikings fell out of love with him. And then in his contract year, he started doing all these other things. He goes to other teams. They make him a running back. It's, it's fun to watch him, but... Uh, Expect him back this season. Who knows how long that means he's going to miss. By rule, he's got to miss at least four games. Yeah, it is a big blow. A little similar to what we just talked about with the Giants in that, I mean, you know, again, the good thing is at least Atlanta seems to be able to run the football just about on anybody, and they have some other running backs. But he has been the star of their team. You're right. I mean, they rely on Cordell Patterson in the run game, and then – Oh, you have to play too much man-to-man, or it's a, it's a, you're overloading the run game, and we're going to hit Kyle Pitts or Drake London. It's very simple. But, yeah, where it stinks for them is they have to, you know, they want to be a running football team, and I don't think Marcus Mariota's in the trust tree as far as the passing game. I mean, again, it wasn't very good last week. He threw a bad interception, you know, later on in the football game, late in the third quarter, I believe that was. Maybe that was early, late second quarter. I can't remember off the top of my head. But certainly not a team we look at to go, oh, man, the Falcons and Marcus Mariota are coming to town. They're going to dice us up with 40 passes and 400 yards. No. They want to run the ball, run the ball, and have Mariota throw the ball against optimal, easy looks for a quarterback. And that's where it could hurt them here just as far as not having Cordero and such a special talent we're gonna go ahead and take a break when we return some news out of Pittsburgh that we kind of expected but it changes everything for a Steelers team that is one in three and staring at four very challenging games more PFT live presented by Google Pixel right after this
just thought we needed a spark, man. We didn't do much um, in the first half, uh, not enough offensively, and, you know, thought he could provide a spark for us. thought he did some good things. I thought, you know, there was some energy there. Um, we scored some touchdowns, but obviously uh, we also turned the ball over. That was Mike Tomlin on Sunday after the Pittsburgh Steelers somehow lost to the New York Jets despite leading by 10 points in the fourth quarter. They did get a spark from Kenny Pickett, who became the first quarterback in the entire history of the National Football League to have two rushing touchdowns in his first regular season game. Kenny Pickett has that going for him, but he doesn't have the victory because the Jets pulled the rabbit out of their butts to win that game. But now came the news on Monday, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it all day today. Kenny Pickett taking over for Mitch Trubisky as a starting quarterback. And look, it's a no-brainer. It's easy to go from the veteran to the first-round rookie. Once you have the first-round rookie under center, you can't start pulling him in and out of the lineup. you got to let him play. That's why you drafted him. He's your quarterback now. He's the guy. And they go forward and they see what they have with Kenny Pickett, Chris. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, he gives a spark to the football team. The team is, there's obviously a lack of belief in Mitchell Trubisky and what he's done. We heard the murmurs over the last few weeks about, you know, the receivers thinking that they're a little more open than they should be. The frustrations in the Pittsburgh media. Yeah, Trubisky not aggressive enough. You know, again, I don't know if it's going to look a lot better, but you might as well just, like, who cares? You're, you're a one-in-three football team that's no, showed no signs of moving, moving the football or being consistent that way. And Pickett, it shows that he's game ready. I mean, yeah, he made some mistakes in the game. It's not easy to be thrown into a, a game, you know, while everybody's going and that there are four games in in the season. And, hey, you got to, you know, get on the, the moving car here and, and function like you've been playing all along. And it's not an easy situation, but he looked very good. I mean, calm, cool, controlled, made some great throws under pressure made a few throw, you know, big throws to move the ball down the football field, but unfortunately made, you know, especially that second interception, a rookie mistake that gave the Jets one more chance to have a chance to come back in the football game, and Zach Wilson did a great job of taking advantage of that. Yeah, and it really is amazing how the Jets pulled it off, but Pickett did enough that he should be the guy because Trubisky didn't do enough to keep the job. No. Trubisky ultimately needed to win games. And you've got Deontay Johnson, Steelers receiver, who said after the game it's a rebuilding year for the Steelers. I don't think they entered the year regarding it as a rebuilding year. I remember Peter King from his training camp tour talking to Mike Tomlin, and Peter kind of made that point, and Tomlin's attitude was bring it on. And I don't expect Tomlin to back down from any fight, but even if you don't back down from a fight, sometimes you lose the fight. And here they are at 1-3, and three, and they've got Bills, Bucks, Dolphins, Eagles, and then their bye week, I mean, they could be two and six or one and seven. Definitely. They're going to be the underdogs in each of those four games. Maybe they can pick off the Dolphins if the Tua stuff is still lingering and they're not getting it done with Teddy Bridgewater. They're going to have a hell of a time with the Eagles. They're going to have a hell of a time with the Bills, who they upset last year in week one. So the Bills are going to be ready. You're not going to catch them unaware this time. The Buccaneers are going to be desperate for a win, and they're a better team across the board. This is, this is new territory for the Steelers under Mike Tomlin. To have a team that is overmatched, waiting for T.J. Watt to come back. They're 0-7 without T.J. Watt all time. And the idea that they could go into their bye week on a seven-game losing streak, I haven't looked it up yet. I have a feeling it's been a long time since the Steelers have lost seven games in a row. Right. Well, it doesn't look good. I mean, they got issues. There's no doubt about that. And, and you know, even there where... 
you know, I know they had 10 points in that football or 10 point lead in that football game last weekend. Like at no point did I watch that game and go, oh, they're clearly the better team on the field. Let's not forget the Jets did a lot of dumb crap too to let them have the lead or the Jets were in control of the football game really for the first half. And then down there in field goal territory, Zach Wilson shows him his immaturity, throws a dumb interception when they're in field goal territory. Maybe they can get more points. You know, they get an unnecessary roughness call on the Hail Mary that Trubisky threw into the end zone. And then they get to kick a field goal and get points aboard the half. So, you know, yes, you know, to your point, Mike, I mean, it's Strugglesville in Pittsburgh. And I don't see how it really turns around. And I kind of agree with what Deontay Johnson is talking about. It's, it is a semi-rebuild. We know they're going to fight and play hard. But, damn, they can't run the ball. They don't protect that well in the pass game. And their defense is not like what we've been accustomed to with the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. It's solid. We know they're opportunistic. They're going to make some plays. But they're not dominant. We saw Zach Wilson pick them apart. We've seen teams run on them. You can kind of do whatever you want against Pittsburgh. So I, I expect the losing to continue. I don't think it's going to turn around. I think it's going to be an ugly year in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and look, I I got that one wrong. Pasta and meatballs. I thought they'd find a way to pull it together. Now, the T.J. Watt injury did change everything. It does, right. But when you have that much of the team focused on one guy, maybe you need some more around him. I and mean, it's just – the total team efforts that they need to win these games where they aren't the better team, you still need the pieces there to make it happen. But who knows? Maybe Kenny Pickett will take them up to Buffalo and they'll they'll beat the Bills and then we'll be feeling very differently about the Steelers come next week. Cooper Rush now 4-0 and is the Dallas Cowboys starter. Chris, he became the first guy in the history of the National Football League to win his first four starts at quarterback and have a passer rating of greater than 90 in each of those wins, and he's only the sixth undrafted quarterback in the Super Bowl era to start his career 4-0. Tony Romo, who was undrafted, didn't even do that. Uh, Dak is working his way back. You know, I, I, I love your point about how the offense is more balanced and diverse when Cooper rushes in there, and maybe they need to do that when Dak comes back. I just wonder whether they're going to let it ride one more week with Cooper Rush and see what he can do against the Rams before – bringing Dak back for that Sunday night game against the Eagles. Yeah, I wouldn't force it if I'm Dallas. Not right now. I and mean, you hear Dak Prescott. I know he even you know, told the announcers during the Sunday telecast that he had been pushing it too hard and that his, his thumb was a little more swollen than he'd like. Again, this is a big play. The one thing we've seen from Dallas is they're a, legit, they're a playoff football team. They're, they're a playoff contender. There's no doubt. You know, I, I misjudge their talent, certainly. Their defense is real. And their offense, now with Michael Gallup back, is, you know, got a chance to be damn good. But this is where, like, I'm a little frustrated. Cooper Rush, very good. All right? Yes, I know it's 4-0, and we're going to give the quarterback the wins, right, and all that crap. And the quarterback rating's great, and I understand that, too. And quarterback rating, we got to start challenging that a little bit because I don't know what the hell it means anyways. I look at Mahomes' quarterback rating and go, I don't know if I saw a quarterback play better last week than anybody than him, but yet his quarterback rating's in the 90s, and the guy that he played against and beat and purely outshined had a way better quarterback rating. So, there, you know, quarterback rating can kiss my ass a little bit on that one there. But then at the same time, too, here's my other thing, Mike, that bothers me a little, right? 
Yeah, you know my pet peeve. The offense changes when the backup comes in. Oh, we got to do things to help them, and we got to play the right way for us to just to win the game. Do that when the starter's in. Don't go fall into that pressure. And we're making a bigger deal of the Cooper Rush thing. They're going to need Dak Prescott. Listen, if Dak Prescott put up the same stat line that Cooper Rush has put up the last three weeks, we'd all be going, should we be concerned about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott? That's not... They're not very. They're not looking very explosive on offense. Should we be concerned about Prescott? Should he be making forty-five million dollars a year, right? Because Cooper Rush, the stat line's not special. But for some reason, you know, the expectation level, the levels lower. And as long as we get the win and don't look like a total idiot on the football field, we start to go. Well, this guy's really good. Oh my gosh! And I just want to go. Hey, it's been solid. There's no doubt. I watched that game back, though, yesterday. I mean, he did his damnedest to throw about three interceptions that Washington lost. He threw two bad ones where he got lucky that there was a penalty that had nothing to do with the play. So my point is, Cooper Rush, good job. He's a backup quarterback, and when Dak Prescott gets in, they're going to be a better football team, especially when healthy. But don't rush it to, to, I think, what you're saying. There's no point in throwing him out there right now at this point if he's not ready to go. But your point is, when Dak Prescott comes back, let's have a more balanced offense. Let's yes. not make it all about Dak. Right. Let's And let's scheme to win games with Dak instead of just go do your thing, Dak. Right. Dak will save us. Right. Dak we will don't, save we us. don't need any special or plays for this game. Dak will save million us. And it just, we have to throw for 400 every week. We have to throw for that just because we're paying you all this money and we have C.D. Lamb and we got Michael Gallup and just because we have that, we're not going to play to the strength of our team and we're just going to throw it to justify the money and resources we've spent in that department. And that's what I feel like, you know, and, it, and the media too, like back off. This is the way they need to play when Dak gets back. If Dak has to play Tom Brady, New England Patriots, 2003 type of football, then so be it. Just win the damn game. But, yes, don't fall in the trap of we got a $45 million quarterback and we got to throw it 50 times a game for 5,000 yards. No, you don't. And wins and and success are going to shut up all that outside chatter. Now, look, even without Jerry Jones saying the things he said a couple of weeks ago about how he'd love to have a quarterback dilemma, even without that, Dak would probably be pushing to come back. Yeah, right. But you can't help but wonder whether he's pushing a little harder to come back because of the noise, sure. because he feels compelled to justify his contract. And, and it kind of plays into Jerry's hands to see what he's got in Cooper Rush. He's, I think that he's got to believe he found another Tony Romo at a time when he doesn't need a Tony Romo. He needed a Tony Romo back when Tony Romo emerged because Drew Bledsoe was on the last legs and he was done. And they'd had Romo in their back pocket for a while. And I remember here in 2003, 2004 time frame, he was undrafted in 03. I remember hearing in 04 about this guy named Tony Romo that the Cowboys really loved. Yeah, right. And it's like, who's Tony Romo? And 2006 is when they pulled out Bledsoe, put in Romo, and the rest was history. But, you know, th- that's the difference. You've got... Dak Prescott in year two of a four-year, $160 million contract, this is not the time to stumble over Tony Romo. So I just, I'm fascinated by what the Cowboys are going to do about this, what this sample size, however many games Cooper Rush plays, what it means when the next Dak Prescott contract is due. You know, is there a point where they make a big decision to pivot from Dak Prescott to Cooper Rush? Not now, but after 23, 24 
maybe even after 22. I'm just – I. it complicates things for the Cowboys. I, I, I mean, I hear you. There's going to be this buzz around it until Dak, you know, gets back and shows why he's the man there. You know, and, and Cooper Cup certainly with this performance and what he's done has bought himself another six, eight years in the NFL of being a premier backup or maybe a bridge-type starting quarterback. But he's not a difference-making quarterback. Not like Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has shown the ability to carry the team when the team is not very good. Cooper Rush is just a, a cog in the bigger machine of which the Dallas Cowboys are. And, and again, let's not forget, they won and beat the Bengals because of their defense and all the sacks. And then they played the Giants, which we know are just they're squeaking by the ugliest 3-1 team in football. And then, oh no, let me write home about the Commanders and dust up Del Rio in that defense and that crappy offensive line. Come on. So I'm not ready to you know write home about Cooper Rush as the savior for the Cowboys yet. I, I gotta make one more point though because when they won three Super Bowls in four years what category did their quarterback fall in well you're Dak right. or Cooper Rush well it was that way that style of play but it was more right. big time talent playing the Cooper Rush type of football right. I hear you we're done thanks see for joining ya. us see you Wednesday Buddy. See you, man. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.